Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Appreciate you tuning in tonight. It's 7.06. This is Inside Sports on 6.30. Chad, keep the text coming to 6.30, 6.30. Some Hall Eberly debate going on there, which I will uh, get back into a little bit later on. Again, keeping an eye on that scoreboard. Flyers trying to stay alive. They're up one nothing on the Capitals after two. White, the only goal of the game. Franz Nielsen has scored for the Islanders. They lead the Panthers 1-0 early second period. The series is tied at two. Still to come tonight, the Wild and the Stars. And uh, the Sharks will take on the Kings. That one doesn't start until 8.30. The Blue Jays not looking good tonight. 6-1 for the Athletics in the bottom of the sixth inning at Rogers Center. And Western Hockey League Conference Finals underway tonight. Red Deer and Brandon scoreless with three minutes left in the first. Seattle and Kelowna start, uh, I guess that one, uh, what, 7.05 Pacific. So that one will get going in about an hour. I can also tell you that the Detroit Tigers trail Cleveland 2-1 in the seventh inning because I believe our next guest, Jeff Rieger, is at the game. Jeff, you're on Inside Sports in Edmonton with Reed Wilkins. How's it going, man? What's going on, man? How you doing? You're right, by the way. It is 2-1. Justin Verlander was sent back out of the seventh, gave up a bomb. Well, pretty good outing. Now, are you, uh, are you working again tonight, or is this a, uh, a fan night for you? Oh, no, no, working, working. So, Wings and Tigers, we go right from one season to the other. So you host both uh, both teams' games, eh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Good job. Somebody's got to do it. Yeah, decent, de- 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 decent gig. In 2006, the first Major League game I ever attended was at uh, Comerica Park, and I believe oh, that right. was uh, not the Tigers. They lost the World Series in 06, I think. That was. Yeah, that was a magical year. Jim Leland came aboard, and uh, they made it all the way to the World Series, and then obviously lost in five, unfortunately, to the Cardinals. Now, were you covering the team when they lost uh, 100 and, what, 119 games? I was. You know, I didn't cover. That was 2003. That was actually the first year I started covering some Tiger games. 04, I went to more and more. By 05, 06, I was doing pretty much every game, but... Uh, Yes, I saw the god awful as a fan and as a media member, and then I saw you know some pretty magical years in 06 to 2012. You know, it's just unfortunate they haven't been able to win the big one. They've gotten there, they haven't been able to win it. Yeah, good team for sure. And uh, Canada got uh, got back on board with the Blue Jays last season, so that was pretty fun. Oh uh, yes, I love the Jose Bautista bat whip. One of my favorite things in baseball last year. Yeah, well, and I think I think the whole uh, the whole the whole celebration thing got got overblown. I love that somebody uh, 
tweeted a, a couple weeks ago was it was it Mickey Mantle like throwing his bat in the direction of an umpire after taking a called third strike like some old footage and people were like why are we losing our mind about Batista I mean players have been getting mad and emotional and happy since the beginning of baseball so let's let's lighten up a bit I don't know about you but I mean I like it I mean Bryce Harper said make the game more fun I would agree I mean, that's fun that guy hits the biggest homer of his life probably he follows me on Twitter by the way and like along with another 400,000 people but uh, <laughs> and, and then and then everybody goes crazy that he has the audacity to enjoy want to get started on a great weekend start it on a Okay, sorry. I got some, some ads started up on my computer. I don't know if Quite you heard right. that or not. <laughs> I assume that's happened to you. <laughs> a couple times. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what Windows open that started that up. I'll just shut them all down. Uh, all right, we uh, we brought you on to talk a little bit about the the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, they, they are eliminated. Uh, you know, I, I did pick Tampa Bay to... Uh, to win the series, so I rarely get one right, so i got to mention that. L- let me start with a talk about an individual player. Uh, Pavel Datsuk, was that his last NHL game? What do you think's going on there? Yeah, I think it was. I mean, he obviously says he needs some time to cool down. Uh, the report came out a couple weeks ago. CBC had it. Hockey United Canada had it. And then, obviously, it sounded like just by talking to him that he's going to go back and you know, the Wings are going to have $7.5 million in dead money on their hands, and they're going to have to figure out how to trade that. If not, they're going to be even in bigger salary cap problems than they already are in. But, yeah, I, th- I think he's probably done. Uh, didn't really have a great playoff. Uh, finished with zero points. I thought in Game 5 he was a little more dangerous. The only saving grace, if you're a Wings fan and you think that Duke is coming back, is there is a belief, and I'm not saying I believe this, but there's a belief that that Duke wasn't aware of that contract and how it affects players over 35 years old when he signed it. So maybe he feels some sort of responsibility to the Illiches to come back for one more year and not really kind of like hurt the wings and their salary cap. So if you want to hold out hope, that's the hope. But uh, it seems like everybody I talked to believes that he has played his last game as a wing in the NHL too. I mean, the Wings have been so good for so long. What is it? Was it 25 straight years in the playoffs? What's yeah. it up to? Yeah. That, I mean, that's yeah. that's incredible. And this isn't a, a six-team or a 21-team league anymore. This is, you know, your 50-50 mathematically to get into the playoffs if you were just to drive everybody out of a hat. So so, so they keep getting in. Does, does, does going into this offseason, though, feel any any different? Is this a precarious position for the Wings franchise, one that they haven't been in for a while? How do you perceive it, Jeff? Well, yeah, I mean, they have some free agents that are going to come off the books, and they can get rid of a Kyle Quincy. They can get rid of uh, Darren Helm if they so choose. Pavel Datsuk, if they find a way to trade that money away, which some teams might take it, considering, you know, they need to reach that league minimum and the salary cap. There is money coming off the books. The problem is they have a lot of guys with bad contracts. For instance, Henrik Zetterberg isn't who he used to be. Neither is Nicholas Cronwell. Jonathan Erickson, not a great defenseman, and he's making a ton of money for the next four or five years. So they have a lot of people that they're paying a lot of money to, so it's going to be really hard to move those contracts. Jimmy Howard's another one. He's essentially a backup goalie, and he's making $5.3 bucks. So it's going to be tough for Ken Holland and company to figure out how to move some players, how to make the right moves. And, you know, they obviously need some draft picks, too, which this is the one thing. As you know, you guys have had a ton of draft picks. And it's hard when you have a ton of draft picks to be a good team. The Wings have gone 25 years without having a first overall or a second overall. And eventually it catches up to you when you lost as much talent as they have. I mean, think about who is left, especially at the back end. Lidstrom is gone. Rafalski is gone. Stewart is gone. 
you know, Chelios got older and he left too. So, you know, they've lost a lot of talent. Ken Holland has done a great job of replenishing that talent, had a lot of bad contracts. And now, you know, this is going to be an interesting offseason because it's going to be hard to come back and figure out what you do next with a lot of underachievers on the team. Jeff Rieger joining us from 97.1, the ticket in Detroit, wrapping up the uh, Red Wings season. They were eliminated by the Lightning last night, late goals. The Lightning won it. One nothing. Let me just and let me just ask you this: the the future of this team. I, I mean, Larkin and Mrazek uh, pop into my mind. Obviously, who are other possible cornerstones for the Wings here if um, they're going to build up again? Well, uh, that's a great question. And, and you know, here in Detroit, a big bone of contention has been: well, why aren't you playing Brendan Smith more? Young, physical defenseman. He didn't play in game one and two. He got lit up against the Penguins. Who doesn't? And he went darn near a month without playing. So he's a guy that's probably their best D-man right now, so I would assume he'll get more time. Andreas Anthony to see you. He's a flashy forward that hardly got any ice time, and, you know, he made the best of his ice time, so I would expect more from him. And then another guy is Anthony Mantha. I mean, this guy, obviously, you know, the one biggest head-scratcher, I think, in that first series, and we still don't have a great answer, is the Wings' power play when Mantha was up was 11 for 30. Not great, but it's pretty good, right? The Wings' power play after they sent Matha down, for whatever reason that was, finished one for 25 in the second season. They also had two five on threes for a long time that they didn't score either. So that's the biggest bone of contention. Like, why wasn't Matha on this team? And Jeff Flash was like, well, you know, I looked at all those goals and I made the determination that he was not directly responsible for that stuff. So Mantha's a guy that has a bright future and will play a factor on this team moving forward. You know, the other questions are Gustav Nyquist and Thomas Tatar. You know, these are guys that you thought had huge upsides, and they were very disappointing this year. Another guy is Riley Sheehan, who, huge upside, but he wasn't all that great this year either. So there are guys, but they have to prove that they can do it. And I would say, you're right, Larkin and Morazic are the big ones, and the other ones are bigger question marks than anything. All right, I, I lied. I want to get in one more because I'd, I'd oh, be yeah. remiss if I didn't uh, I didn't touch on on the on the coaching change. How how would you uh, summarize the Babcock to Blashill transition? Well, I got to tell you, like, like you got to give them credit for making it, right? You got to give them credit for even though they lost their last two games and essentially backed into the playoffs, you, you have to give them credit for making the playoffs because obviously that was the goal to get back into the 25th year. With that being said, I'm not exactly sure. That Blashill hit the right button on time. He eventually hit him. I just don't think he hit him on time. And maybe that comes with being a more veteran coach. I'm not exactly sure. But this was a guy that coached their AHL affiliate, the Griffiths, and had a lot of these players, knew what these players were capable of. And a lot of the fans wanted to see the kids. And we didn't see the kids all that much this year. So, I mean, I think the playoffs are a prime example. Games one and games two, he plays Alexi Marchenko and Kyle Quincy. Games three and four, he figures out, well, you know what? I have to play Brendan Smith. And they ended up winning game three, and that was their best game. So, you know, I think he did an all right job, kind of late to the party on some changes. But, um, you know, by, by no means is he in jeopardy of losing his job or anything, I would think. Hey, Jeff, thanks for making time for us. I'll let you uh, get back to work. Looks like it's a, it's a good one there between the Indians and the, and the Tigers. I hope we can do this again. That's uh, getting close. Anytime, guys.
Right on. That is Jeff Rieger checking in tonight. He is the uh, radio broadcast host for the Red Wings on 97.1, the ticket out of Detroit. And, uh, yeah, well, it's always a pivotal offseason, I guess, for teams, but Detroit seems to be at, uh, at a bit of a crossroads. But it would be fun to have 25 years of playoffs before you reach that crossroad. It is 7-16. Overtime drama last night in St. Louis, and Chicago stays alive. Are the Blues rattled? Mark Spector from Sportsnet checks in next. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Franz Nielsen fires it home from the top of the paint, and for the first time in the series, the Islanders score first. They have a 1-0 lead with 6.29 to go in the opening period. Just two goals in the NHL so far tonight. That's one of them. Nielsen for the Islanders. They're up 1-0 on the Panthers' second period. Uh, into the third, about five minutes in now, Philly trying to stay alive in Washington. They are up 1-0 in that game. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Obviously a huge goal last night for Chicago. Jalmer sitting in from the left corner. Tried to spin it in behind the net and did. Ponick's got it there. Rolling around. Fed the high slot. Kane. Now he dinks. He moves toward the net and shoots. Oh, it rolls just like that. Rebound. Score! Patrick Kane with a wraparound goal in overtime. His first goal of the playoffs. <laughs> and the Hawks beat the Blues in double overtime. Four to three. All right. So that series will continue. The best franchise in the NHL over the last six or seven years still alive in their chase for another Stanley Cup. Edmonton's own Mark Spector from Sportsnet is covering that series. Mark, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Excellent, Reed. Pleasure to be here. How are you, man? I'm, I'm doing great. I love the first two words. Well, if they're actually official words in your <laughs> in your column today. Uh-oh. And, and you have to wonder if – I don't know if it's in the backs of the St. Louis – players' minds, but I bet you St. Louis Blues fans are thinking, uh-oh, after last night's game. See, I think you got it pegged exactly. I think anyone who's watched the team for a long, long time, who's been a long-suffering Blues fan, remember, this franchise is built on good regular season and playoff crashes. Like, they were the San Jose Sharks before the San Jose Sharks were the San Jose Sharks. So, I think all the fans are thinking that, uh-oh, we've seen this movie before. But you know what, Breed? I don't think the players are. I think players are well aware that they're a better team than Chicago, that they should have won that game last night, that they've won two games in the United Center. I don't think it's creeping in the test room yet. If they lose game six, it might change. But I'm sure that it's crept into the city of St. Louis a little bit. Yeah, I, I hear you there. Give me your take on what gives St. Louis the edge um, this season, I mean, St. Louis has had those, uh, you know, a couple first-round disappointments recently as well, where people thought they might be able to go deep. What do you sense and see with them that's maybe different from the last couple of years? Well, they've got a few young players or, or new players uh, that make them immediately better. Robbie Fabry is ready to play, and he's an outstanding, greedy, high-skill winger. Uh, Vladimir Tarasenko has emerged. He's a 40-goal guy. He's, you know, really he's the best scorer, goal scorer on this side of the league, you know, against Ovechkin on the other side. Uh, their defense has added Col- uh, Colton Pareko, the St. Albert kid, who's, I mean, he's just becoming, for a rookie, oh, my goodness, he's getting first uh, unit power play time. He's uncorking a slap shot. I mean, honestly, I'm not saying he's Shea Weber, 
But when he one times that thing uh, on the power play, and they're building their power play around him to try to get him open and shoot it, he looks like Shea Weber. So they've got a bunch of new parts here, actually, and they're far deeper team than St. Louis uh, than Chicago. There's no question about it. So, so here's the interesting thing, Mark, and you and I both know that a, a lot of sports winds up being decided between the years. St. Louis Blues, yeah. I'm sure, know yeah. that they're better than they've been in recent years. But the Chicago Blackhawks know that they're the Chicago Blackhawks, and they don't, and they're not, and they're not going anywhere without a fight, which which sets up perhaps an incredible game six. What sense do you get out of the Chicago dressing room? Well. The, here's the sense I get of the Chicago dressing room, and I'm just putting the call on the bed right now uh, saying exactly this. Uh, one thing we know about hockey players, Reed, you and I have learned over the years, they know who the good players are, right? It's sometimes management will tell you one thing, and us commentator types will tell you another. Players on the ice, they know. And nobody knows more uh, about the fact that the Chicago Blackhawks aren't as deep and their depth players aren't nearly as good as they've been. Nobody knows that more than the players like Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook and Taves and Kane and, uh, you know, Panarin and those guys. They're looking at Brandon Schinter and they're looking at, at uh, Fleischmanns and Richard Panics and, and uh, you know, I'm going through uh, Eric Gustafsons and, and David Rundblads. Those Chicago players, the good ones, they know that the other ones aren't so good. So they realize that they they have to win this thing on guile and on guts. they got to play some rope-a-dope here. And they need to pull out what Ken Hitchcock's been calling the knowledge. And that is something that all the great teams have. The old Islanders had it in 83 when they beat the Oilers, because I don't think they were as good as the Oilers, but they had something, right? They'd won for a long time. The Chicago Blackhawks, in my estimation, I think they're at the end of it here. I think they're at the end of their era of greatness. But they still got a lot of that currency. And right now, they got to double down on it, man, because that's their only edge on the St. Louis Blues right now, and that is knowledge of how to win hockey games. Yeah, well, that, that that's what makes this series so fascinating, and that that was a fun overtime last night. And just before I let you go, i got to say about the overtime goal, Mark, I, I mean, Kane has had such an incredible season. I mean, I... I I don't see how he doesn't win the MVP, but I don't vote, obviously. But as soon as that shot started trickling wide, and I saw where he was, I thought he, he's 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 going to be. I thought he's going to win the race to the puck. Like that's just he's how quick start. he is. <laughs> yeah, I thought exactly the same thing. I thought I saw that goal coming about three seconds before it went in, and I thought, uh oh, this looks like a goal. <laughs> hey, listen. Patrick Kane is Chicago's Glenn Anderson. I mean, we all know he just tied Andy for the, the five overtime playoff goals in his career. That leaves him third behind Sackick with nine and Rocket Richard with eight. He's kind of their guy. He comes up in big moments. So, you know, the old tale goes that who's going to be the hero tonight? And they got a hero last night, but they need two more heroes here. And I don't know. You know, how far does the knowledge stretch read when, when St. Louis, in my esteem, St. Louis is a much better hockey team. And I'm not sure that guts and guile and experience and the knowledge can overcome that. Game six is going to be fun. You're going to be there. Mark, thanks so much for making time for us tonight, man. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, i got to put a shout-out for Sports Central. Can I do that? Yes, of course. Do it. Okay, we got a little issue over there, man. We got all these refugees and people who are coming to see us, and we've been having a record month, which is awesome. 
but we're running out of some stuff. So if you're in your garage this weekend and you're cleaning stuff out and you want to get rid of some stuff, we need soccer shin pads, we need rollerblades, and we need like the protective knee and elbow pads for rollerblades. We got more kids coming in this spring than we've ever had. So if you're cleaning the garage and you got that stuff, get it down to your local fire department, get it down to Sports Central, get it down to United Cycle, and let's get that stuff on some kids who can use it. Good message, Mark. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Yeah, help out Sports Central if you can. They're uh, right on uh, Wayne Gretzky Drive there across from uh, Rexall Place, the former home of your Edmonton Oilers. It's 727 Chicago-St. Louis. That's been a good series. Another game tomorrow. Is there going to be another game between Philly and Washington? My goodness, the Flyers still hanging on to this one nothing lead, getting late into the third period now. We'll keep you updated. Want to get to some of your texts on the Oilers coming into 630-630. Our open line is 780-496-0063. We'll also talk a little bit about this new partnership between the CFL and the NFL when it comes to developing officials. Breaking a little new ground here. We'll tell you how inside sports on Chet. This is Adarius Bowman from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Eskimos show with Morley Scott coming up Sunday at 4. Morley will have a preview coming up later this half hour. This is Inside Sports on 630 Chad. It is 733. Brandon striking first. John Quinville with the goal. The Wheat Kings lead Red Deer 1-0 after the first period. Game 1 of the Western Hockey League Eastern Conference Final. The other series, Seattle and Kelowna, will start in about half an hour. This is your Crystal Glass scoreboard, courtesy of Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, call 310-GLASS today. Nine minutes left. Washington on the power play, trailing Philadelphia 1-0 in Game 5 of that series. Philly trying to take it to a sixth game. Still 1-0 for the Islanders over the Panthers. Five minutes left in the second period. Wild and Stars about to get started. Dallas is trying to win that series on home ice. San Jose is trying to win their series against Los Angeles on the road. The Blue Jays still fighting. Bottom of the seventh, they trail Oakland 6-3. couple of texts here to 630-630. The Big L says, Reed, I think people put too much emphasis on Kelly Rudy's isolation of Everly's poor defensive play on one occasion. This player can't be reduced to a single defect and on a bad defensive team and when games late in the season haven't mattered for years. While Stevens says, Hi Reed, in my opinion, even when Everly doesn't score, I see him make smart, nifty plays. He can think the game like McDavid, which lets him keep McDavid flying and not stopping waiting for the puck. I know Everly's defensive play isn't the greatest, but neither is Taylor Hall's. Hall has game-breaking speed. Everly has the hands and the scoring touch. There isn't as big a separation between the two, in my opinion. Uh, look at last summer. They both did well for Team Canada. And... Bill says, Reed, sure we need that right shot on defense, but myself, I would be happy with bringing in players who would get us into the postseason. 
Oilers are not going to get better in one season. Also, our third and fourth lines need a big upgrade. Lots of big needs for our club. Huge job for Peter Shirelli. Uh, all well thought out arguments. Um, I, I think Hall is a better player than Jordan Eberle. I'm not necessarily saying there's a big separation. I, I do think Hall is a is a better all round player. Um, Certainly, Bill's point is well taken. This is not a team one or two players away, one or two upgrades away from being a Stanley Cup contender, despite winning seven more games than last season, which is a pretty good improvement. They fell a spot in the standings, so you got to keep that in mind. Uh, I do think they need a better third line for sure, one that can score a little more and, and maintain territory a little more. I think Shirelli is looking to round out the roster. I mean, you heard Matthew Barnaby say it last night on this show. He's not the first guy to go down this path, that the Oilers have a lot of the same type of player. There's nothing wrong with having offensive players, skilled players like the Oilers have. Are they complemented with guys who can win puck battles, dig along the boards, free up the puck for them, all that kind of fun, dirty work? Um I, I, Bill, I will get this sense. You're right. The, the right shot on defense doesn't fix everything, but I really got the sense from, from McClellan's comments throughout the season that they, they, that they I think the Oilers feel the most significant improvement that they can make is adding a defenseman or two who can help get the puck up ice. And I, and I realize just adding that one guy isn't going to have the team go from uh, 70 or 71 points, whatever they're at, to 100. But I, I think they've identified that as their biggest deficiency. Um, and, and I asked McClellan a question late in the season about neutral zone play because the Ducks, when did they play the Ducks? With about four games left in the season, third last, fourth last game, the fourth last game of the year, I guess. And the Oilers just you know, had trouble getting through the neutral zone and even getting a four-check started or getting a rush started. And McClellan used his old comparison to football. You know, is is it the quarterback unwilling to throw the ball into the end zone or can he not throw the ball into the end zone because the receivers aren't going there? Um, Though in this situation, the defenseman is the quarterback. And McClellan said when we are getting the puck through the neutral zone, the passes aren't accurate or they aren't done sharply enough before the other team sets up their neutral zone forecheck or trap or presence or whatever you want to call it. So, Bill, your point is one. I mean, how how can you argue with the fact that this is a team with a lot of deficiencies? Fair enough. But I think that the sense, if you know, of reading from what the Oilers say and what you know, Shirelli said in his in his news conference that he thinks he can make uh, an impact on on the blue line. I think that's the priority, a guy who can get the puck in his own end and then can get it out sharply so you're not clogged up in your own end or you're not throwing the puck away once you get it into the neutral zone. 780-496-0063. You can also text us to 630-630. Uh, we got Glenn Johnson standing by. He's uh, the uh, Senior Vice President of Football with the Canadian Football League and a new NFL-CFL partnership for officiating development has been announced today. Glenn, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Hey, Reed. I'm doing great. Yeah, great to have you back on the show. It uh, hasn't been long since the last time you've been on, so that means uh, you guys are busy. And uh, exactly, yeah, interesting partnership here with uh, with the National Football League. Tell tell us first about about the the seeds of this. How did this get rolling? 
Well, when I first joined the league, I, I made it, uh, you know, part of what I wanted to do every day was to try and figure out just how to get better. And that meant talking to other leagues, other pro sports, you know, anybody I could that had ideas, you know, to how to, how to take our officials who are already very good, you know, to get them better. And I spent a bunch of time with Dean Blandino in the NFL. So we shared some thoughts and ideas and, you know, we would share a few best practices and, and things like that. And we both came to the same conclusion that, you know, what we really need is we need more practice. We need more pro snaps. It's hard for our guys to practice. It's not like I can call up a buddy and say, Hey, let's go down to the field and practice officiating. So, you know, what we need to do is actually just get more snaps. And what this uh, development partnership does is it puts us, you know, on each other's fields, uh, at each other's training camps, and uh, has, you know, the opportunity for us to share best practices and, and you know, try new things on those fields. Uh, you know, I'm going to read a line right out of the, the press release here. A group of NFL officials will have the opportunity to work as part of CFL crews, crews during preseason and regular season games in June yeah. and July. So, I mean, some of these are going to be games that count in the standings. So I think I can ask probably on behalf of a lot of fans, too, who are we getting from the NFL? Because, I, you know, I read that and I wonder, wait a minute, are we just going to get the NFL rookies that maybe aren't that experienced? What's going on there? Right, yeah. No, these are, these are officials uh, that are, you know, are, are full, full NFL officials uh, that have been in their league. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a handful. And there'll, there'll be, you know, maybe one on a game and not every game, every week. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll have these folks come in. We're going to train them. They're going to come to our training camp. So they'll come through our training camp in a bit of an accelerated way because they're already a pro. So we'll spend a bunch of time on the differences, you know, on the things that matter to their position, that type of stuff. Um, then we'll put them on the field for exhibition. We'll coach them up. We'll put one of our officials to partner with them to be their mentor, you know, when they do a game. So one of our officials still gets an assignment to the game, uh, and he's learning from that NFL official about how they prepare, how they get ready. And then our guys making sure that they, you know, they understand the rules and that they're ready to execute them. So, you know, the integrity of the game is first and foremost. You know, this is not about making this perfect for our development program and, you know, uh, putting somebody on the field that's not ready. That's not what this is about. We have to protect the integrity of the game first and foremost. And, you know, I get that and we'll do that. Which what are we talking about here for the guys from from the NFL? Because they're, look, they're, the rules are different in some ways, mm -hmm. drastically, in some not. So is is that does that affect what positions we're going to be getting from the NFL? Yeah, exactly, Reed. I mean, what we did was uh, when Dean and I architected this thing, we said what positions have the least differences? Where is that gap the smallest? And uh, what we decided is that it's basically the downfield officials that are on the outside, so the downfield officials that are on the sidelines. Those officials, you know, our passing rules are much closer to theirs now, particularly with our rule change last year where we've gone to the five-yard bump zone. So that's something they've had for some time. So the illegal contact rule is almost the same. The pass interference rule is almost the same. And those are the calls that those officials make 85 90% of the time. You know, some of the other smaller things, you know, it's one foot inbounds, not two foot inbounds. Some of those things we think they'll be able to adapt to pretty quickly. Um, but we think these positions are the right positions to exchange because they have those smallest rule differences between them. Glenn Johnson joining us on Inside Sports. He's the Senior Vice President of Football with the Canadian Football League. Can you tell me how this is going to work the other way? Will we get some of our guys going to 
Because, you know, the way the seasons overlap, obviously, uh, I, I don't know mm -hmm. how, how it could work for a CFL group of officials who might go down there and, and try to get some extra work in or some extra learning. Yeah, so they'll go to their uh, their orientation development camp in a couple of weeks in, in New York. Um, that's where they bring their advanced prospects together. So they'll get their orientation into some of the rule differences there. Then they'll go to their uh, uh, some mini camps that start in uh, May and June. So they'll attend some team mini camps, which is great. They'll get some pro snaps there. Um, then they'll go to their main officials training camp in July. Um, so they'll, we'll, we'll schedule that. So that's their off week with us. Um, so there's no conflict there. Um, and then uh, they'll get on the field for an exhibition game. And again, that that'll be probably a couple or three weeks later. So we'll just schedule them, you know, as a, as an off week with us when that happens. But you know, it's pretty exciting for them. Uh, you know, the we now have a a formal. A program where they can get scouted and looked at by the NFL. And I think, you know, some of our guys are pretty excited about, about that opportunity that the NFL may even, you know, choose to hire them full time. Well, well, yeah, that, that was the next question I was going to throw at you though. Are, are yeah, there any, any concern about the CFL losing its best officials to the NFL? Um, I mean, yes and no. You know, I think it's, uh, if that happens, I think that's fantastic validation for our capability and the quality of our officials, uh, you know, that the NFL would, would be interested in, in hiring them. Um, you know, and at the same time, uh, you know, we're not talking eight, 10, 12 officials, you know, I mean, the turnover is small, you know, I think the NFL in total, you know, they would, they would need four or five a year and they've got, you know, thousands down, down South to choose from. So this is much less about, you know, us hiring their guys and them hiring our guys. This is just much more about development, getting better, getting our current staff, you know, as, as good as they can be. Is there a commitment beyond this season, or is it going to be uh, year by year and, and tweak it and see what happens? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're heading into this with, uh, you know, let's let's see how this goes after the year and reassess, and you know, maybe there's some tweaks. You know, maybe this maybe this doesn't pan out. Maybe this was just a great idea on a on a drawing board, but you know, I I feel that it's the right thing to do, and but you know, we'll reassess when the season's over. All right. Well, it's interesting. I'm looking forward to see how it goes. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see some, some crossover between the two leagues during games this summer. Glenn, thanks a lot for the uh, enlightenment on this uh, idea, on this program. I hope it goes well for you. Great. Thanks, Reed. Anytime. That is Glenn Johnson, CFL VP of Football. There will be NFL officials working CFL regular season games this summer. You heard the explanation from Glenn. That is going to be very interesting. It is 746. Kirk on the open line. Up next when we get back. Hi, this is Taylor Hall from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Well, somehow the Flyers might do it tonight. By the way, the shots are 43-10. 43-10. For Washington? Yes. Wow. And uh, they're they're into the final couple of minutes, so Neuverth uh, doing the job for the Flyers tonight. They're looking to extend that series to a sixth game. Our open line phone number is 780-496-0063, and I believe Kirk is going to throw a Friday night curveball at old Wilkie. What's going on, Kirk? Yeah, it's a curveball. You guys watch more NBA than I have, and I'm a big uh, Spurs fan because my wife's from San Antonio. Um, do you think they have a shot against uh, those guys from Golden State? Yes, yes, I do. And uh, look, I, 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 by no means do I claim to follow the NBA that closely. But uh, we were talking about this the, the last night or the night before. 
the Spurs still won 67 games. I mean, any other year, they're oh, first overall by probably a wide margin. Unbelievable. Uh, that yeah. that Kawhi Leonard, I believe, has emerged as as a, as a really good player. The 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 big three isn't what they used to be, but they have a, a structure and and you know they have is, a they have a belief. Is Curry going to be back soon? Or he's he yeah, back? well, he's hoping to play on the weekend. But that's another thing that could derail them, right? I mean. As good as the Warriors are, you're always susceptible to injuries. I think the Spurs have a chance to beat the Warriors if they both reach the Western Conference Final. Um, I, well, I, I mean, a, I would. It would be a miracle if they did, but uh, I don't. I know. mean, the Raptors aren't going to come close to uh, either one of those teams. I don't think. Well, no, and they'd have to make the NBA Finals to to meet them. Yeah, and that's pretty hard to do. In itself, yeah. No, uh, no, you, Kirk, you, you, you call in fairly regular. You live in, you live in Edmonton or the capital region. Yeah. But your wife is from San Antonio, and does she follow the Spurs? Oh man, I didn't like the Spurs. I didn't like basketball since, since Jordan played until, until I married her, and now I like the Spurs. And we've been married nine years, and they've been really good for all the nine years that we're married. So. Well, they've been good since the late '90s. <laughs> they're, 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 yeah, they're pretty yeah. good. Uh, Robinson, oh yeah, he, the admiral, he, he could be, he could be governor of Texas. He really could. Kirk, thanks for calling, buddy. I always appreciate it. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right, that is Kirk checking in, 780-496-0063. Hey, I want to remind you, the Eskimo Show is coming up at 4 o'clock on Sunday. Morley Scott is the host of that show. Morley, how are you doing? I'm good, Reed. How are you? Well, I'm doing great. Man, another edition of the Eskimo Show coming up. I know you got a, a great guest list, but before we get into that, uh, the minicamp in Florida was the was the big news. Uh, they they wrapped it up a couple of days ago. Yeah, and talking to uh, to to people who were involved in it, uh, very successful. Uh, Ed Hervey liked the talent level, and and that's a thing, right? Because you and I, and I talked to him about this on Sunday on the Eskimo show. You see video of these guys, right? And and you maybe you watch them in practice. You've watched them, but to see them in your system, in your rules, to see them on the field, and and hope that that talent comes through there. He was pretty happy with what he saw. He's got some holes to fill too, right? You know, mm-hmm. he's, he, they got to find another uh, import receiver. They've got to find some linebackers. Uh, so they've got some, uh, you know, DBs as well. So they got some holes to fill. So that was the start of it. And they'll make some moves, I think, in the next week or so. Some players will be uh, signed. Some players will be released. And that will all be because of their performances uh, last weekend uh, and early this week in uh, Florida. Well, this, I mean, they haven't done these camps for a, a long time. Are they relatively new? Uh, relatively new, yeah. They started about four or five years ago. Okay. Now, I, I think it was the Montreal Alouettes who did it more than anybody else, I think. Uh, but, yeah, every team seems to do it now. And uh, there are places, and, and the Eskimos went to uh, Dodgertown in Florida, in Vero Beach, right? And they are set up. Like, that's basically what they're for, right? It's for, you know, you can hold training camp there. If, if you're a baseball team, you can do – they got football fields. they got baseball diamonds. Uh, you you live right on the grounds. I think they have a, a commissary, and uh, they cook for you and everything. So they're, they're looked after right there, and it's just for intense three or four days' worth of work, and that's what the Eskimos do. Uh, the Rough Riders were in, in uh, Dodgertown the weekend before, and I think the BC Lions are going there. Other teams are going there as well or have been there. So, yeah, teams do it. It's, it's become pretty successful. The Eskimos do it a little differently, though. Like, the Rough Riders took everybody. Uh, Saskatchewan took everybody, all their veterans and everything. The Eskimos treat those three days as the three days that most teams do for a rookie camp, 
which they have just before main camp starts. And I think Ed Hervey does that uh, so that he can get an early handle on his rookies and know, okay, this guy's not good enough or this guy's good enough and I don't have to worry about signing that guy or I have to worry about going out and getting another guy. So I think the Eskimos treat it a little differently. The quarterbacks always go. For sure. Right. Uh, this year, uh, Darius Bowman went, and I think that's because he's such an important piece of the offense, and it's a new offense this year. So he was on the field with with Riley, and more importantly, with Jason Moss, learning the new offense. And Dion Lacey went too. Uh, and uh, Dion Lacey on defense, they're trying to find a spot for him to play. There's there's a couple of openings. Of course, Willie Jefferson's gone on the defensive line at the defensive end position. He could play there, and he could also be uh, that outside linebacker uh, where Dexter McCoy played last year so uh, they moved him back and forth throughout the camp and they got to find a position that that they like and that he's comfortable with and they're going to let him try and master that position going into training camp so you know little things with veterans not a lot of veterans go it's mostly it's mostly rookies mostly guys with contracts or guys who are about to get contracts or uh, or guys who are on the neg list or just free agents and and they're kind of walk-ons trying to get someone's attention Interesting, you mentioned that the Montreal Alouettes started this a few, you know, before other teams did a few years ago. I guess teams were finally like, yeah, Montreal keeps beating us. Maybe we should do what they're doing. Yeah, and now Montreal's not beating them anymore. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah, well, that's the whole thing. I mean, there's so many players out there, especially the import players, right? And you got to give yourself the opportunity to see those players and give them a chance to to try out for you. And that's why teams do have now all so many of those uh, free agent camps, those those walk-on camps where you you got to bring your own water. You got to bring your own shorts and shoes, <laughs> and you got to bring a hundred bucks cash. And we'll put you through the motions. Uh, we'll do you know certain drills, and then you know like you know the long jump, the high jump, uh, you know lift all that some weights maybe. Stuff, yeah. And then they'll put you in a football situation and see how you run the forty and see how you react in coverage and stuff like that. And the Eskimos and other teams have found guys in those camps, and they've turned out to be some pretty good players. So it's something that you have to do. Uh, and you have to do a lot of work to find one or two guys. And that's that's the difficult thing about it. you really got to make a commitment to it. All right. Eskimos show coming up this Sunday at 4. Who do you have, buddy? Uh, we're going to hear from uh, Eskimos general manager uh, Ed Hervey, and uh, we'll recap uh, the mini camp with him. Uh, we'll uh, talk about the, a little bit about the, the two news items this week from the CFL, the drug policy, which got put into place, and then that new agreement between the NFL and the CFL uh, as far as the officiating uh, uh, plan goes. Uh, and we'll also spend uh, the back half hour with Eskimos quarterback Mike Riley, talking to him about the mini camp and about the, the plans that he sees in place for an offense, which he seems to be, from talking to him, seems to be pretty excited about uh, playing Jason Moss's offense and being coached by Jason Moss. Uh, he had a real good week last week, he thought, on the field in, uh, in Florida, and he's looking forward to kind of taking the next step with that into main camp. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Morley. All right. Morley Scott, host of the Eskimo Show this Sunday at 4. Riley and Hervey, great guest list coming up. FC Edmonton, a fight at practice earlier this week. We'll get to the bottom of it when we get back. 6.30 Chad, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.